0: If you're competing, you're surviving, but you see a competitor growing and scaling and they're doing the digital, then you'll be a copycat, but you'll survive.
1: We are Michael Vizi in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today, and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick to read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. EVA has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. EVA serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash EVA. That's amazingfba.com forward slash EVA. Hey, folks. Welcome back to the e-commerce leader. This is one for host Michael Veazey. Jason Miles will be joining me in a second. We're going to be talking about how to deal with geopolitical e-commerce challenges and how to waterproof your the ship of your business to be proof against storms that are now happening or will be happening soon. These are um, not easy challenges to meet, but we have some strategies which we feel from experience of working with our clients and our own businesses have a robust chance of giving you the abilities to not only thrive, but potentially have the best possible years in your e-commerce business ever. Listen on for to find out more and thanks in advance for listening. So the simple question is where's demand? Yes, exactly. And
0: to your point, demand could be so volatile. and I didn't, yeah. hadn't thought about Germany but I will tell you, you know, like uh, I think the Europeans think, oh, you better start selling in the U.S. But if you're here in the U.S., you do the same thing. You just think, oh, the U.S. <laughs> is cooked. Where else can I sell? And yeah. uh, a lot of the smart people are jumping into Mercado Libre and selling mm-hmm. into the Central and South American markets, mm. uh, which is because it's a marketplace that's really booming. And they've o- opened the, uh, the process and systems for U.S. sellers. To, to send into Mercator Libre system, and those those products go to Florida, and then they go to Central and South America through their system. And but the underlying question is, where is demand, and how can I how can I put myself in the system where demand exists? As we all know, it's near impossible to create demand. Yeah, it's so much easier to just fulfill. For when people want something, you're there, ready to go. And but yeah, I think that's very interesting, and I hadn't thought about that. But that nimbleness. The ability to pivot, just that question of where is demand, I think is a foundational component of somebody who's going to be weathering the storm effective going forward as an e-commerce operator.
1: Yeah, I think the question of where is demand is an excellent question. You're not wrong. When In a more volatile market or markets or global situation, I think an additional question which we have to ask now, which we have the luxury of not asking, is the more speculative question of where will demand be. So what I was talking about isn't where Germany is right now, because as at the time of recording, what I'm talking, about, I was going to say the nuclear scenario, but sadly, that's no longer metaphorical. That is an actual scenario. So do I mean, nuclear scenario, the really bad, but not nuclear scenario that Germany's demand simply falls through the floor. It's speculation, but it's not idle speculation because the underlying mechanics of the situation are pretty obvious. If you are sitting in a car, teetering on the edge of a cliff, and you're wondering whether physics is going to push you off the cliff or onto the cliff you don't have to be a genius to know that it's nevertheless a substantial risk, so you should get out of the car. So not the greatest metaphor ever come up with in a business podcast, but you get the idea. And I do feel like people have a terrible tendency to think tomorrow's going to be like yesterday for no particularly good reason except kind of habit. And, and that's understandable. I'm not criticizing. But I think that's dangerous thinking in a situation like this where where demand is a great question but where is good demand going to be or another way of looking at it is where could where's the risk that it will stop is another Mm -hmm. way of looking at it so that's the that's on the marketplace side
0: which Mm -hmm. we just at the high level 30,000 foot view you have to say as e-commerce operators it's just been, it's a beautiful time to be an e-commerce operator. There's more and more marketplaces opening up all over the world on the whole. It, so there are more options to, to pivot even in tumultuous times. And uh, thankfully, those European e-commerce operators that are selling primarily into Germany right now could yeah. do the pivot. And so yeah. There's nothing that stops them from doing the pivot yeah. uh, as needed to, to the U.S. or to Central South America or to whatever markets <laughs> uh, suit them. They literally can just boot it up, work
1: through the details and yeah they you know, can okay, well, yeah, not, i would yeah. say when you said there's nothing that stops them it, it on a yep. broadest perspective you're absolutely right and i think and i suppose why i'm encouraging that people should do that i have to say one note of reality is that the capital required to break into es market might be five times what's required with a similar product line in germany so that's one thing i would say and back to the point you were talking about with capital raising if you have a good track record as an operator and you can sell Whoever your equity partners, your lenders, on the idea that you're going to make it big in America, then you may find the capital is raisable, but you will need to raise that capital, and that is not a small thing. That's all I would say.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, many details are provoked by
1: such an idea. So other types of pivots, you, you, I guess we could should talk about product category pivots. What What are your thoughts about that?
0: Sure. Yeah. Oh, I think the the general consensus of recession based um, product presentation versus boom time product presentation is something to think about some product lines are just built for recessionary we own one of those pixie fairs sewing patterns and sewing patterns are for people who sew things rather than buy things who sews things rather than buy things well hobbyists do or people who are financially constrained do and we've done our business since 2007 2008 we started on ebay we were power sellers originally And then in 2009, we got into the sewing patterns, not just the manufacturing or making of the items. And what we learned through all of these years is if it's easy to buy something as a giftable thing, people will do that. It's harder to make something as a giftable thing. But if you're in the business of helping people make things, then in a recessionary time, you've got what people want more than in a non-recessionary time. And I guess if you can follow that logic, then you get my point. There are products that work well in recessions and there are products that work well in boom times and you want to evaluate what you're selling in light of that concept and think through okay if people are constrained financially are they still going to be buying my birkin bag for forty thousand dollars or my a rolex watch now the answer might be yeah because i sell it to billionaires and i don't really care but the answer might be oh this is a luxury item for the middle class and in a recession they're not gonna be buying my luxury item. And that's the kind of thinking you wanna bring to it. And then the question is, if I'm selling an item that's in jeopardy of being out of favor, how could I be nimble enough to pivot? And is there a product that's similar that actually works well for a recessionary period as my current product line does for a boom period? And that line of thinking is you're playing out, okay, what's worst case, best case, And what product fits in both of those cases, you might have a product that hasn't done well at all for the prior six, seven, eight, nine years, boom time period. But as soon as recession hits, that product will be your new golden, much loved product that you'll want to scale up. Stuff like that happens. And so I think that's an important thing to think through just in terms of what you're offering and whether it fits the times to be the way to express it, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot. I think that's very important. And I guess that's a specific version of the kind of message to market match. And I suppose what we're talking about is the people stay the same, but their mentality changes because their situation's changed or at least to be more sophisticated, their perception of their situations change. I guess that's what actually drives is in motivation, what drives action, right? What drives behavior is perception of what's happening rather than actually what's happening. But yeah, yeah, uh, interesting that the demographic hasn't changed, but their experience of life has changed. And so their behaviors change. The other thing I, I mean, and the other thing I wanted to say is, This is a perfect example. Again, you don't necessarily have to go from one thing and pivot to another. You may find you have to do that over time. But the starting point for me would be also always to diversify, to have some products, that, as you say, you believe should behave well in a recession, some products that behave well in a boom time. And then to see what the market actually says. And if you are forced to pivot, then at least you have a foot in two camps, as it were. Whereas if you're trying to start from zero and you you have to pivot in a hurry, then that's going to be very hard to do. And uh, you're disadvantage relative to the competition is already established in those markets as well, I would say. And you a few minutes ago, message
0: to market match is one of the elements here. And it could be as simple as retooling all your copywriting. Maybe you've got a set of benefits and features that emphasize the exciting upside (laughs) of having your product. But maybe in recessionary times, you want to retool your copywriting so that you have an emphasis on how it saves money, how it lasts longer, how it is indestructible, all of those elements that would satiate someone's need or desire for the product not being necessarily repurchased quickly, which is as e-commerce operators, not what we want to have happen. But if the, but obviously it's in the best interest of the customer. Planned obsolescence is the phrase people use for many products that you just have to throw them away after three years because they don't work anymore. Well, in a recessionary time, you better not be making that claim no. or even presenting things in that fashion, because people are going to want to lean into um, good value for money, long-lasting, all of those types of things, and that that copywriting. And it could be all true. I'm not saying bend the truth. I'm saying just what you present, what you put out there as your first selling feature point in your copy might need to be adjusted in, in light of these hard times. So that's it's an interesting angle as well. It might not even be a product change. it just be... A- a product retooling.
1: Yeah, it's all repositioning. If, if you want to put that, or we'll retooling the copy. Another type of repositioning that you've implied, which applies to a couple of my clients actually, is that you guys have a, with the, the downloadable patterns for sewing, it appeals to hobbyists, but it also appeals to people who might in a recessionary re- situation turn their hobby into a, a work. And I've got another client who's got, helps people with baking products. And again, quite a lot of people to judge from the quantities they order and some of the product photos and feedback that he gets Are doing this as a kind of micro business and actually Mm. in a recession those sort of things i i guess are very likely to grow because traditional employers may be downsizing and uh, people will be rather like in the pandemic when there are sort of spikes in interest in e-commerce marketing and stuff because people are going oh my goodness i need to make an alternative source of income and i think that's interesting that for certain products for you it happens to be for my clients in some clients that could be a micro pivot. And again, it's a repositioning rather than the whole full on pivot that you appeal more strongly, you, you tweet to copy to say, this could be a business kind of thing or a hobby becoming a micro. What
0: you just put your finger on is an interesting pivot in itself, which is, and we have clients that do this. They start with a B2C product and they're trying to find individual consumers to buy for personal use. And then the, what they discover is that there's actually commercial use of the schools, restaurants, offices things where people will buy in bulk and you're not really set up or productized, packaged for bulk purchasing, but you realize, oh my gosh, people will buy this in 50 or 100 count packaging rather than just in a two pack. And that B2B business switch, that pivot, sometimes people don't do uh, pivots or switches like that because in good times you're like, eh, I'm good. I'm selling to the individuals. And yes, I probably could make some money if I I switch to selling bulk for B2B, but mm, we're busy. But in hard times, in the recessionary times, you're like, how do we survive? (laughs) Yes, we now have a product line that's designed exactly for the dentist's office or the doctor's office or the schools or the churches or the uh, restaurants, whatever it is. And those, the hard times force you to uh, lean into something that was there all the time. And packaging and customer, type of customer pivot I think, is one that's maybe there for people and they haven't taken advantage and it will just be emphasized because of the market conditions. Yeah.
1: By the way, that's a tweetable. I really like that the tweetable from Jason Miles, not myself. Hard times force you to lean into things that were there all the time. I really like that because I think it's absolutely true. There's another phrase on the, the other side of the ledger, if you like, that is bad habits, breathing good times and ignoring opportunities because you're fat and happy as a business. It is not great practice anyway. Yes. In the short term, maybe you're too busy to focus on it, but in the medium term, it, it probably should be something you'd exploit and put a team member onto. The other thing I'd like to say about that, that very simple pivot it's actually can be very simple but profoundly good for your bottom line and i've got another client in the mastermind who's selling products to that in the sort of catering space where he's realized like you just said that there is a mass market for schools restaurants offices and actually you can get amazon to just fulfill by the carton so literally the cartons you send in shipping cartons they just send them back out again so another thing we ought to talk about, and you are the man to talk about um, digital products, is uh, the pivot from physical products to digital, or rather, again, is it a pivot or is it a diversification, an addition rather than a, a change? That's something that I find very little adoption of amongst my mastermind members so far. And I, I always feel that's an incredible opportunity that we're missing. And again, to your point, the hard times may force them to lean into the things that were there all the time. If you spent 30 years selling a product line or serving a particular type of customer, then you probably have incredible expertise that you could package into multiple different types of information products or books yeah. or training. And so you guys are the expert at that because you did that very thing. Yeah. Took us through that. Yeah. It, it is one of those things where it was there all the time. And what the reason
0: people will pivot to it is because they'll look at their cost structure and they'll say, my goodness, we can't afford to spend this much money acquiring customers by having a loss leader product. And then then someone will say, what else could we give the the customer to get them in-house? And you're like, oh, how about a how-to guide? How about a digital product? There's zero cost of goods. Wait, it's free to us? And that kind of line of thinking, because of the stress and pressure of finances on the lead side, the lead acquisition side, finding new customers, that will lead people to digital products. And depending on the marketplace and the how the customers operate in that space and whether they have a demand for information that's obvious and it can be fulfilled with either a free item or with a paid item, the business will then explore those, I would call them a modality shift from physical to digital. And that shift is, it is there for everyone. And I've just beat this drum and no one dances around the fire, but I don't care. Cause I'm gonna keep saying the same thing over and over. If you're an e-commerce operator and if you're not using digital goods to acquire and grow your customer base, then you are leaving a lot of energy on the table and that is a mistake. And you will discover the error in that, in the pressure of hard times, and you'll be grateful that you made the change and um, not to be too antagonistic about it, but it it is there. It's there already. And people just don't want to do the work to figure out how do you rig up a digital good? How do you, how do you make this work through your Shopify site? Or can you do this on, I'm an Amazon seller. I can't Mm -hmm. do this. On and on the excuses go, but um, <laughs> under the constraint and pressure of um, the, the crush of a down economy, you will find the gem in the digital goods and you will love it. And uh, it just will happen if you really lean in that direction. And um, I guarantee it, it, just, it, it will happen. If, if The more you spend time exploring how to create and sell digital goods, either again for free or for money, they, and how they benefit your business, the more you'll see the economic advantages of near zero marginal cost and instant deliverability and the whole host of benefits of digital. So you can <laughs> tell I'm on my soapbox right now. I'm all fired up about it, but it's just because I just, there's just, it's such an obvious thing once you've yeah. done it, once you're there. And we built our whole business around this for 12, 13 years now, 14 years. And um, th- there are so many other people who could build a business around digital that don't and they don't because they can sell the physical items and make a decent margin driven into a cul-de-sac that they're hanging out in and they haven't had to by pressure look for other options so there you go that's my soapbox
1: (laughs) sermon on digital goods no i'm all for you banging that drum I, I try and do it you know on your behalf amongst my well not for your sake but for their sake amongst the of the my members I, I haven't really banged the drum hard enough because uh, as you say partly to be fair we're all very busy uh, owner operators of any business but also there is again we talked about a mentality shift and this brings this nicely full circle the sunk cost fallacy comes in lots of ways like you've learned a lot about physical products and then you come up with the idea of maybe creating a book or a physical uh video course or whatever other modality it might be and people think oh gosh no i can't be bothered with that i've learned a lot about um, physical products and i don't want to pivot and, and that actually is a very commonsensical reaction in, in the sense of sticking to your knitting as a strategy decision if if it makes sense economically but as you say near zero marginal cost is critical when the actual cost of raw materials transport fulfilment everything is going up. And then the deliverability piece has gone from always being a difficult thing with physical goods to being really, not only very difficult, much more delayed, but not certain that you'll ever get the goods. There are people in 2020 who ordered goods in February and got them in December, uh, which is crazy. I mean, friends of mine, and that meant obviously just a monster hole in their cash flow, and in their, the, the money was tied up for months. And that's, In an era when we had lockdowns in the West, but actually not much in China, weirdly enough. That ability to bypass that whole nightmare is for me just incredibly profound, really important.
0: And I I would also say that's why in times of economic recession or big down economies, this is why some companies will leap forward and take market share. Because it's a very simple story. A recession hits, hits every player in a niche, the player that can lower their cost of acquisition or their operating costs and still generate a uh, good margin or revenue wins. And they win on a daily basis. They win on a margin percentage basis, and then they start out spending on advertising. And what you'll see is in the down economy, those businesses that have not incorporated digital into their strategy will have such a tremendously costly business that they're operating that they will grind to a screeching halt on the obvious things like advertising, staffing, investment in new products. And those that have more margin because they've introduced digital into their product suite and acquisition strategies will just have more gas in the tank. And they'll be able to spend more on a daily basis on AdWords and on social media ads to acquire new customers, and it'll be like a screeching halt for the one that doesn't have a digital game plan, and it'll be like a tailwind or a lift for the other that does have the digital strategy. And there you go. In every niche and industry, you'll see players that just didn't embrace a digital strategy wind down. Maybe they close all together. Maybe they go bankrupt. Maybe they just are hurt with market share. And those that do have the digital strategy will take a and and grow and flourish and survive and it, it's not rocket science understanding that it's just it's obvious it's as plain as day and when you understand the economics behind physical product business versus digital product business and uh, so i do think that we'll see more and more of that adoption by force or adoption by requirement of digital products and digital resources for customers because it if if you're competing, you're surviving, but you see your competitor growing and scaling and they're doing the digital, then you'll be a copycat, but you'll survive because you'll be like, oh my gosh, everybody in my industry started doing digital goods. Yeah. I therefore did them too. I was dragged into it by, by requirement. Or it'll happen so fast that you go bankrupt and the other people who had pivoted and it had a layer of digital <laughs> fat, I guess you could call it, mm-hmm. in their profit and loss, they survive healthily through the winter. And and you've uh, run out of energy, and they've they've continued on for prosperous times.
1: So, just to make sure we're crystal clear for anyone listening, so digital strategy meaning digital products, i.e., informational based products, or mm-hmm. anything- yeah products made of electrons, not atoms, as they put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So right. here's one thought about this is I was reflecting on the, the phrase that springs to mind from what you're saying is necessity is the mother of invention. And when the pressure's on, you, you get creative because you have to, which I think is very healthy, is the opposite of bad habits breeding good times. But what I think is very interesting, you just flagged up what I think I see most people actually doing, which includes myself. We're higher order primates. Monkey see, monkey do. That's how monkeys work. That's how humans work. It's what in our genes. But we can go beyond that because we can think and plan and act the the great human ability if we choose to embrace that. And so I think necessity is an interesting word because that's a perception question, isn't it? I think a lot of people right now don't perceive the necessity of doing something until the competition does it. And then even they don't know why, they just think, oh, I better do it because it's not working anymore. Whereas I'm with you, which is to say it's necessary in the environment we're in and all the factors we've put in, recession, supply chain issues, et cetera, et cetera, to pivot for me the simple question is are you going to wait till everyone else has realized it in your tail end charlie to your point it may be too late by then because they've taken market share it could happen very fast or are you going to anticipate and do it now be yeah. the person that moves first and i think that first move advantage accrues uh, you know can accrue huge amount of stuff if you follow up on it and i hope that what we're doing today is encouraging everyone to be the leader literally of their market and to be the person that examines the dynamics thinks through their supply chain thinks through the demand yeah. side is really consciously forming a strategy, and they may have the courage then to make those bold moves. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's the right way to approach it. Wonderful conversation, man. You want to give us the overview recap of the uh, the, the the show here and wrap us up? Yeah, I'll try and summarize the best I can. So, I guess the problem we're dealing with uh, is a demand side and supply side problem, and it it's global in scope and probably not going to go away. <laughs> which is really the background for why we're going to do this. We talked about preparing to pivot. And the next stage being possibly diversifying and then actually pivoting as sort of meta strategies that go across everything else. Being nimble, being willing to change your mentality and get a mental and emotional gas in the tank, as you put it, is really important. That should be a trademark for small businesses. That should be something we can lean into this ability. Letting go of sunk costs as quickly as possible and, yeah, preparing yourself for that sort of pivoting thing. Being aware of when market changes happen. And so on the demand side, staying attuned to that. And as you say, maybe re-shaking your messaging to meet the sort of recession mentality of the consumers. Possibly changing up your product mix if you need to have goods that are more recession-proof. Um, you may wish to consider business-to-consumer things. And and some products lend themselves to becoming business-to-business. And, and depends how you find business. It could be a micro-business. And then not least as you said, and I'm utterly with you on this, the modality pivot that you may wish to consider adding digital products to the mix and adding, as you say, that digital fat to your profit and loss. And if you get in there first, then you're the person with more money to spend on gaining market share through being able to afford more advertising and outspending your competition, then you can be in a beautiful place to take market share. So it could be the best possible time to be in business, which is a strange thing to say, but I I think you're right. It it is when the wealth is transferred and it could be you that gets to benefit. While Jason's just uh, dealing with the tech uh, issues side, let's just first of all say thank you very much to everyone who's watching and listening. Don't forget that if you want to find uh, us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other place, you just look for the e-commerce leader. We're on all the podcast medium, uh, media, I should say. if you want to join us live on calling, we have the Hot take show on Tuesdays at uh, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. UK time, 5 uh, p.m. Central European time, where we uh, have a panel discussion with Chris Green, Kyle Hamer and uh, Jason and myself. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. And we'll wrap up there and uh, look forward to speaking to you soon on The E-Commerce Leader. That was the E Commerce Leader Podcast with Michael Vizi in London, England, and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.